All right. Our lives are defined and directed by our core desires. Think about this. A war does not make a man cruel or courageous. It brings out the cruelty or the courage that was already growing inside. A pandemic doesn't make us anxious or peaceful. It brings out the attitudes that were already growing under the surface. And really, even our choices, our will, is not the final gatekeeper. Rather, it's our desire, our core yearnings that finally shape our destiny. So the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you desire most of all? The title of the sermon is, Questions Under Pressure, God's Strategy for Peace. In the midst of significant trouble, David desired one thing. You probably know what I'm going to read. Here it is. Psalm 27.4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in order to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to contemplate him in his temple. Let's pray. So Lord, in the midst of our concerns for health and finances and the unpredictability of our world, we're asking this morning, maybe this afternoon or evening, we're asking that you would take us and make us deeper, stronger, more solid in our core desire for you. So we're going to read Psalm 27 today. For David, it was a time of trial, although he recalls times of war in this psalm. The actual problem is that he has opposition and accusation. We'll read that later in verse 12. Structurally, the first six verses, one to six, are an expression of confidence in the Lord. Verses seven to 14 express his current struggle and his request for help. But in content, David presents us with several choices and possibilities because God blesses right choices. But what are those choices? God has several choices for blessing. The first choice we have is pressure or presence. So let's read all of the first six verses. David says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the protective refuge of my life. Of whom shall I be in dread? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my adversaries and my enemies come near me, they will stumble and fall. If an army encamps against me, my heart will not fear. If war suddenly arises against me, I'll continue trusting. Therefore, one thing I ask of the Lord, this only do I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life in order to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to contemplate in his temple. Because in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in a shelter. He'll shelter me in the shelter of his sacred tent and lift me up high on a rock. Then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me, and at his sacred tent I will sacrifice faint offerings with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to God. Verse 1, he establishes that God is his light, his source of truth. It's very simple. Believe the Bible and fill yourself with it. Truth, as Keith said earlier, makes us free. God is our salvation. 
in this crisis, now is the time to plant truth deeply in your soul, knowing that God will protect him. Look at verses two and three. He says, hey, evil men advancing, armies. He says, I know that somehow God will protect me. And knowing this is what releases verse four. Let me say that again. Verses one, two, and three are about how God is his light, his truth, his salvation, his protection. And because he knows that, then he moves into verse four saying, really what I want is to be in your presence. But here's the key. When we are locked up in survival, when we're locked up in, I've got to have, you know, be safe from this virus, or uh, I'm worried about money, or I'm worried about other things in my life. When we're in, when we're in, in survival mode, man, our, our souls, our minds are filled, and we can hardly look up. But David knew that God would take care of him. He didn't fear, and that freed him to say one thing, really, I want to dwell in your presence all my life. Now, this is the core of the psalm. And it's the verse you know. To dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Of course, that's the temple in his case. And he's thinking of temple rituals and the offerings and the prayers and the singing and all the things that they had. For us, of course, that is the church. And we're not thinking so much of the physical building ever, but especially not now. It is worship. It is connection with people and fellowship. And what does he want to do in those times? He says, why does he want to be in the house of the Lord all the days of his life? To gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to contemplate. And our English translations often say to contemplate him in his temple. But really, literally, it's I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and then I want to contemplate. I want to reflect in his temple. Maybe you've experienced this. Some of you have gone to prayer rooms where there's worship going on and some people are praying, but not everyone is praying. And this seems to be the idea that David has. Initially, he wants to just gaze on, wow, God, you are amazing. You're glorious. You're holy. You're majestic. You are wonderful. You are love. You are grace. You are goodness. And he just fills himself with who God is. But then you go through a season of that. And sometimes, and I do this, I'll just, uh, in prayer rooms, I'll just be like, yeah, now I just want to I want to contemplate because when I really understand who God is, then I can reflect on life and Lord, what you've done in my life. My brain is freed from the anxiety, freed from the fear, freed from the distractions. And, and I've worshiped the Lord. And then I'm like, yeah, Lord, what? So what do you have next? What's really going on in, in my life? What do you have for me? And, and so we go through this process of, of, of recognizing God as our protection. And then we worship him and see his glory, his beauty, his wonder, his majesty. We're humbled, we're, we're impacted, we're transformed. And then he says, I contemplate in his temple. I reflect. It's like it takes the getting rid of the anxieties and, and worshiping and being filled with him. And then we can finally really think. <laughs> we can really see clearly to be in his presence. Now, when he says... To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, I've got to say this. Some of you heard it before, but it's a, it's a beautiful thing. When he says, gaze upon the beauty of the Lord, that's the same word in a song of Solomon when he sees his woman. Oh. It's that, 
such beauty, right? Got guys thinking of their wives right now. Yeah, that's right. That's that, that, that where you're just breathless. That's how he felt when he saw the Lord. Some of us need a fresh vision of God. You know all the truth. You've got the facts. We say, Lord, take what I know and give me that fresh vision of your glory, your goodness, your beauty, your majesty, your love. Immersed, gazing. Now, how do we do this? Well, John 1.14 tells us that uh, they were alive when Jesus was on earth. We beheld his glory. So we can read the Gospels. Let's take it a step further. There is a place of prayer and worship. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. Paul is talking about new covenant believers. He's talking about people that know Jesus Christ. They've surrendered their lives. They've asked forgiveness of their sins. He says, of all of those people, not the super spiritual, but everybody who knows Jesus, He says, we who with unveiled faces gaze upon the Lord's glory and we're being transformed into his likeness from glory to glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the spirit. So in other words, every believer can think about God and gaze upon his glory and be transformed. I read earlier Hebrews 10, 19 to 23 and you should do that spiritual exercise. You know, maybe you're singing along in worship, but especially by faith, recognizing that because of the blood of Christ, I can enter God's presence by faith. Say, Lord, I'm drawing near to you right now. Lord, it's like I'm in your temple. I'm in your presence. And maybe you just wait before him and let that truth sink in, that by faith, You are in his presence. You draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, the author of Hebrews tells us. And you're in his presence. That's where life is. That's life. That is life. That's heaven. That's what we're going to do. We're going to be in his presence. Now, he goes on in verses 5 and 6 to say that God will protect him in the midst of conflict. And so he kind of revisits the issues from verses 2 and 3. So, We want to establish some core beliefs here. The Lord is my light and my salvation. In other words, God has the truth you need and that God will keep you safe in that shelter so that you are safe in the midst of life. And that's what frees you to say one thing I ask. This is what I seek to live in God's presence. So the first choice is the pressure of this world or the peace of God's presence. There's another choice we have. The second choice, more briefly, is to be distressed or a disciple. So verse 7 of the psalm says this. Hear my voice when I call, Lord. Be merciful to me. Answer me. My heart says, if you seek his face, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Do not reject or forsake me, God, my Savior, because my father and mother abandoned me, but the Lord will receive me. Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in the level path of safety. 
So verse 7 and 8, you're kind of moving into his current situation. He's got some people. Uh, he's calling out to God for mercy. He's seeking God. He's got some problems. But verse 9 is the next key verse. He says, do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You've been my helper. Don't reject me or forsake me, God my Savior. Now, this is a weird verse, right? If you just read verses uh, 1 through 6, like, wait, what's, what's he doing here now, right? What's going on? Why is, he, why is he questioning this? He is resurfacing his fears. Yeah, we, we have the psalm of confidence in verses 1 to 6, but when he's in the situation as a real person, he's like, you know what? I know you don't hide your face, but will you? I've known you in the battles of the past, but will you reject me now? The fear after walking with God for years is, uh, do I still qualify? And again, as I said earlier in this tape, I think this crisis for some is God's prophetic opportunity to break with anxiety really forever in a significant way. He He says he fears rejection from his background, but verse 11, in the midst of the struggle, what does he say? Teach me your way, Lord. Lead me in a level path. Move from the past wounds to knowing God's ways. Part of the trouble is that we think the goal of life is peace, the level path. God thinks the goal of life is the perfecting of our soul, the transformation of our soul into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Negative experience, we can can think, well, God's unreliable. The spiritual life involves confronting our misbeliefs and the lies that we think are true and replacing them with the truth of God. What is God doing right now? Well, I'll tell you two things God is doing for sure, along with whatever else God's doing. (laughs) God is making me into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, and he's making you into the image and likeness of Jesus Christ, and he's opening doors of ministry through human need. See, go back to verse four again. When I am freed from fear and free to contemplate and seek the Lord, that's when I'm in that place in the temple And that's when I see the need. That's when my eyes are open to the people around me because I'm not all caught up in my own life. So again, I sense this is a season for some of you. It may feel like walking on water at first. And maybe anxiety has been the defining characteristic of your life. And I'm not saying it'll be all gone in a day, but one thing I ask of the Lord and you're like, okay, I am going to focus on the Lord. I'm going to focus on his presence and it'll feel like you're walking on water. But it's like, he's really there. He's really present. And he's holding you up. You're experiencing that life of peace, trusting him. In this season, God wants to establish our peace on his faithfulness alone. And then when we receive that peace, our eyes are opened. And we see the needs around us. I've seen this in my life. The lives of some of you, the lives of my kids, as they become established in grace, they look around, they see people around them in need. So the second choice is distressed or disciple. One final choice highlighted in this psalm, 
The third choice is despair or deliverance. Verses 12 to 14. Do not turn me over to the desire of my adversaries because deceitful witnesses rise up against me spouting malicious accusations. There's the problem. Some kind of intrigue against David. But verse 13 is the one I want to do a little teaching on here. This is very unique and a lot of translations cover it up. Literally, it says this. If I had not believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living, and the Hebrew just stops, and there's nothing there. In other words, in Hebrew, it's not a statement. It's an if-if clause that never ends, right? It's a, if I'd not believed, I'd see the goodness of the Lord in this life. And he says, I won't even finish the thought. I refuse to finish the thought. And then he counsels himself in verse 14. Wait for the Lord, soul. (laughs) Be confident and strong in your heart and wait for the Lord. Here's the biblical response to despair. So verse 12, we learn he's facing accusation. Deceitful people are undermining him in some way. Leadership problem, probably during the kingdom years. But these three verses get at perhaps the core poison of the spiritual life, which is despair. Can happen to the young, can happen to the old. Despair opens the door to horrific things, depression, negative thoughts, hopeless thinking. But verse 13, it's a translation puzzle, and again, I don't know why, but sometimes the translations cover it up a little bit. But if you read a commentary, it'll tell you that You know, they don't quite know what to do with it. Well, the reason they don't know what to do with it is we don't expect a sentence fragment in the Bible, but it is because it's really the response to despair. When the thought comes, David says, I'm not going to even finish that thought. I'm not, we would say, I'm not going there. (laughs) Verse 14, wait expectantly for the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. So the final choice is to give into despair or wait expectantly for the Lord. Amazing, in verse 14, this may be the part, or 13, excuse me, if I had not believed, I'd see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, of course, people die in Christ and they have an eternal living, right? But... This is something a little more experiential. He's saying, in, in, in prayer, he's saying, I do trust God that there's still goodness in this life. But you go through some deep crossroads sometimes. I've been through some. Some of you know my story. I won't go into it here. Where you th- Will I see goodness again in this life? I know heaven's coming. But will I see goodness again in this life? And this is where It's not just happy talk. We have to understand that God works all things together for good for those who love him. That if you are alive and breathing as a believer, there is goodness ahead because God has a purpose and a plan. And so our hope is not in everything will be roses, but our hope is in that God is with us and has purpose for our lives. No matter the circumstance, God will bring good as we surrender and trust. So the third choice, despair or deliverance. So when we face difficulty, but especially the uncertainty of these days, we're faced with, I think, three choices in this psalm. Human pressure, 
or God's presence? <laughs> Easy choice. Distress or to say, no, I'm going to be a disciple. Despair or no. No, God is going to work good. Deliverance. But read verse 4 again. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to contemplate in his temple. Verse 4 is the foundation of our peace, our hope, and our confidence. When you know his beauty, you yearn to know his ways and trust his deliverance. Our lives are defined and directed by our core desires. So Lord, one thing we ask. Pray with me. So Lord, we ask in Jesus' name, you would enable us, as it says in 1 Peter, to cast all our anxiety on you because you care for us. And Father, we ask for one thing, your presence, the joy of our life, with all the other joys you give us, friends and maybe a spouse, children, connections, meaningful work. Father, our ultimate joy is to live in your presence. And so, Father, we pray that you would draw your people nearer to enjoy your presence in these days. And I'll close my prayer with the blessing from the book of Numbers. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. God bless you.